Welcome to the First Church Orlando podcast. Here you will find recordings of weekly sermons, devotions, interviews, and seminar recordings from the First United Methodist Church of Orlando. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the podcast. Our reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, beginning with verse 13. Someone from the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus said to him, Man, who appointed me as judge or referee between you and your brother? Then Jesus said to them, Watch out. Guard yourself against all kinds of greed. After all, one's life isn't determined by one's possessions, even when someone is very wealthy. Then he told them a parable. A certain rich man's land produced a bountiful crop. He said to himself, what will I do? I have no place to store my harvest. Then he thought, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. That's where I'll store all my grains and goods. I'll say to myself, you have stored up plenty of goods, enough for several years. Take it easy, eat and drink and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, fool, tonight you will die. Now who will get the things you have prepared for yourself? This is the way it will be for those who hoard things for themselves and aren't rich toward God. This is the word of God for the people of God. And so God, I pray today as we enter into this season of Lent that you would fix our eyes on Jesus and his cross. May we wrestle with the implications, the meaning, and what you would have us do as we take up our own crosses and follow Jesus as faithfully as we can. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I just said, we are in Lent. It's the first season, Sunday of Lent. Uh, Wednesday, on Ash Wednesday, we began Lent. Lent tends to be a more somber season, a more serious season. It's a time for self-reflection and spiritual growth. And it's especially a season where we reflect on Jesus' life and ministry that led him to death on a cross. And the implications for us as we seek to be faithful followers of Jesus. Well, I don't think you can do self-examination, self-reflection, and theological reflection, particularly on the life of Jesus, without dealing with the topic of sin. We're going to talk about sin over the next few weeks. Now, sin, I think, falls into two categories. We'll say more about this in coming weeks, but just try to follow me. On the screen, you see sin with a big capital S. Sin refers to the sin that affects all of us, that infects the whole world. It's the disease that infects every human being. It's the root cause of everything that's broken in our world. 
But then there are the, the low, lowercase s sins, the sins that we commit every day. Now, some people commit some pretty egregious sins every day, but all of us, whether they're on the level of murder or grand theft or whatever it is, even if they're not that level, all of us sin every day. Uh, scripture tells us anyone who claims they're without sin is a liar, self-deceptive. Every little hurtful word, every little white lie, every act of selfishness, the the prejudice that sometimes we're not even conscious of, all the waste, all the apathy, all the gossip, all the fudging the numbers, vanity, judging others, we go on and on. These are the sins that we commit. Now, most of us, I think, if we're honest, kind of downplay those daily sins. You know, well, you know, I'm just human. Who's perfect? Who's it hurting anyway? I think maybe we don't always take into account the damage we do to ourselves, the ways we fall short of the glory of God, which doesn't mean we're disappointing God necessarily, is we're falling short of who God gives us the possibility of being. And sometimes we just fail to realize the the extent of the impact of our sins on others. Now, it could be argued, and I will come back to this, that the little case S sins, the sins we do every day, are rooted in the deeper capital S sins, the, the infection of sin in all of us. We could argue that we sin because we're sinful, right? Lowercase sin because we're capital S, sinful. We'll come more into that. Uh, Retired Bishop uh, Will Willeman says, sin is more than taboo, dread, or shame. Sin is more than simply not quite living up to our human potential, stumbling, making mistakes, or being off the mark. When Christians refer to sin, we're describing more than the universal cultural phenomenon that human beings screw up. Our situation is that we view our lives through a set of lives through a set of lies about ourselves, false stories of who we are and who we are meant to be. Only through the story of the cross of Christ do we see the utter depth and seriousness of our sin. And so our theme for Lent, as you see it on the banners, vices, virtues, and vows. By vices, we're referring to what in Catholic tradition is called the seven deadly sins. Uh, It's believed that those seven sins, not just the sins we commit every day, but the seven deadly sins are really the root causes of all other sins. The seven deadly sins include the, the sin of pride, which Emily talked about on Wednesday, Greed, sloth, gluttony, lust, envy, and wrath. Now, now we're not only going to talk about the seven deadly sins and just kind of wallow in our sinfulness. We're not going to do that. We're also, each week, going to talk about the corresponding virtue. Through teaching, we know that these are the seven core sins, but there is a virtue that goes along that's the exact opposite that we ought to be pursuing. Gregory of Nyssa once wrote, the goal of the virtuous life is to become like God. The goal of the virtuous life is to become like God. Now pride is the first of the seven deadly sins, but some would argue that it's not just the first, that it is the root sin that leads to all others. Think about this. Pride is about self-absorption, self adoration, self-centeredness. It's, it's an over-exaggerated sense of 
self-love. I am the one that matters most in this world. Now, Emily said in her sermon on Ash Wednesday, pride is not about feeling good about a job you did. That's okay. It's not about having a healthy self-esteem. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not the, the pride we feel in our children or grandchildren. All that's fine. Sinful pride places me at the center of the universe and that all that I want is all that really matters. And here's an example that I think we could all, all relate to. Anybody ever seen a child at the store having a temper tantrum on the floor screaming for everyone to hear because they want what they want and they want it now, right? It doesn't matter who is having to put up with the screaming. It doesn't matter whether the parent is right or wrong. They want what they want. That's pride. When we're prideful, we're being that toddler's temper tantrum. So, whereas virtues, on the other hand, are rooted in a love for God. Pride is about love for me. Virtue is about a love for God. And, And by virtue of association, it's also our love for one another. And I would even argue it's the best, healthiest, most spiritual form of self-love. Not in a prideful way, but in a helpful way. As in when Jesus said in the Great Commandment, love your neighbor as you love yourself, right? As we pursue the virtues, we reflect God at work in us. And we honor God with our actions. And of course, the very best example we have of the virtuous life is Jesus, which includes his sacrificial death on the cross. And so throughout the season of Lent, we're going to look at each of these seven deadly root sins, the vices, but we're also going to look at the corresponding virtues that we ought to be pursuing. Now, let me just say a couple things about that. One, virtues don't just happen because we want them to. You have to grow to be a virtuous person. Sin seems to happen pretty automatically. You don't have to work at that, do we? Virtue we have to work at. Second, This series is not going to be about shaming all of us. Look how sinful you are. You ought to do better. Rather, we're going to draw a contrast between sin and its devastating effect and the possibility of what it looks like to be virtuous people. And finally, I want to just add this disclaimer. I want to be very clear. I'm not standing up here as the virtuous guy pointing my finger at all you sinners. I'm pointing the finger at all of us sinners. I'm no more virtuous, maybe more sinful than all of us. This is an opportunity for all of us to get real about our humanity and about who God is calling us to be and equipping us to be together, together. Well, today's vice is greed. And the corresponding virtue is generosity. Greed is the disordered insatiable appetite for the the need to acquire and hoard more and more and more wealth and the stuff that wealth brings to us. Some people who are greedy are more like the miser who they don't buy anything. They just keep accumulating the money. Others like to show their money and they acquire more and more stuff. Either way, it's the same root sin. Greed is consumerism out of control. Consumerism gone awry. The endless desire to acquire more and more and more money or stuff. 
And greed is rooted in at least the following. See if any of these resonate with you. Number one, for many, it's about fear and insecurity. Think about your own acquiring and saving of wealth. Isn't it not for a rainy day or for retirement and the concern, will I have enough or will I run out? At what point do we say, did God really mean it when he said he'd give us daily bread? Did God, was God serious about that? Or number two, for some, it's about vanity or status. It's about believing that our personal value is about what we have more than about who we are in God's eyes. Lisa Sharon Harper writes, we must fight the lie that our worth comes from our ability to consume. It's about worth. Or third, maybe it's confusion around wants versus needs. Maybe we've paid attention to the advertisers who tell us that we need everything. We deserve everything. And so we end up with a disordered understanding of what's enough. I mean, where's the line between a want and a need? How do you know when enough is enough? How do you know when you saved enough, invested enough, that you make enough? When are your basic needs met sufficiently? I was on a mission trip to Mexico one time, and I was staying at the church, sleeping at the church, and thankfully this church had porcelain toilets. Now you might think, well, is that such a big surprise? It is in some places. Uh, In fact, most places I go in Guatemala, it's just a kind of a hole outside that you go find. So porcelain toilets are great. The thing is that these porcelain toilets didn't have toilet seats. That surprised me. So you had to sit on cold, hard porcelain. I walked by a toilet, a, a, a hardware store one day with the pastor, and I noticed displayed in the window were toilet seats, and they weren't very expensive. So I said to the pastor, hey, I, I noticed we don't have toilet seats. How come we don't have toilet seats at the church? He said, well, toilet seats are a luxury. Let that sink in. <laughs> toilet seats are a luxury. Have you ever sat down? Did you sit down this morning and think, well, I don't really need to use it. Maybe today I'll just save it for another day. When toilet seats become a luxury instead of a need, that reframes your whole sense of want versus need. And by the way, I still use toilet seats. I like them, right? But I want you to even think about just in the last, let's say 50 years, but I would say even more recently, What are some of the things that have become necessary in our lives that didn't even exist? Central AC. Didn't exist. Cell phones, smartphones, internet, right? On microwave ovens, smart home devices, things that didn't even exist that now, how would we exist without them, right? Here's number four, going back to the, the causes of greed. Maybe it's a disordered view of ownership. Let's go back to my toddler example. Have you ever seen a toddler grasping something that they think they deserve or want, yelling, mine! Right? Well, it may not be theirs, but they just think they should have it, right? A biblical worldview is that I don't have anything. Nothing is mine. It's all God's. God generously provides all kinds of things, and now I get to be a steward of how I use it and how I share it with others. Number five, maybe greed for you is a spiritual issue. 
It's an attempt to fill a void that only God was meant to fill. That ache inside of us that doesn't feel right. So maybe one more thing would help me. Maybe a little more money would make me feel more at home. Father James Martin says, People are tempted to alleviate feelings of insecurity by having or consuming. We try to fill our emptiness with things rather than with God. Eric Fromm was a psychologist who wrote a book about the difference between having and being. And he said that when we fail to understand the significance of who we are, we try to substitute having. Maybe this thing will do what I need it to do. And then finally, maybe the cause of greed is envy. That I see what you have, and I think I deserve to have at least what you have, or maybe better than you have, and so I need to get what you have. You know, it's the whole keeping up with the Joneses. By the way, envy is very close to coveting, which is a Ten Commandment, right? It's in the big top ten. We should pay attention. Now, greed has always been around. It's always been around. It's around in every culture in the, in the, in the world. But I think it's particularly problematic. It's particularly insidious in our modern, affluent, consumer-based economy. I mean, just think about it. The health of our nation, at least as we hear it on the news and through politicians, is our ability to make more, spend more, and consume more and more stuff. The the GDP, right? right? It's all based on consumption. And you and I live whether we're aware of it or not, in one of the wealthiest, most affluent, most consumeristic nations in the world. And that distorts our perspective. When we see it all around us, when it becomes normal, right, then that becomes the standard by which we evaluate our own stuff. When we become surrounded by so much affluence, it becomes the furniture. It just becomes normal. Now, let me give you a for instance. The average U.S. household income in 2023 is $87,864. That's the combined household income. If your combined household income is at least $87,864, you are in the top 5% wealthiest people in the world. If your income level is at that stage or higher, you are, I am, among the world's uber wealthy. Not just well-to-do, not just upper middle class. We're the super rich. Now let's go a little bit further, 50 years ago. In 1973, the average new home was 1,500 square feet. 1,500 square feet. And the average family was 3.5 persons. I've never understood how you do a 0.5 person, but 3.5 persons. Today, 50 years later, the average home is 1,000 square feet larger, but the average family has shrunk from 3.5 people to 3 people per household. Fewer people need bigger houses. Well, why do we need bigger houses? probably for all our stuff. Now, by the way, combine, compare that to the average house in the United States is right around 2,500 square feet, but the average home uh, around the world is under 1,000 square feet. The average home in the United States currently holds about three people per house, whereas the average home around the world holds about five people. 
Five people living in 1,000 square feet, three people living in 2,500 square feet. Let's go a step further. Did you know that 90% of the world's rented storage units are in the United States? Interestingly, there's an equal number of storage units and fast food restaurants. Clearly, we need lots of both, right? One in 10 Americans is spending at least $100 a month on an extra rental space to hold the stuff they can't fit in their 2,500 square foot home, right? More and more stuff that we pay to store that we rarely think about, look at, and apparently don't need on a regular basis. What do people like us, Americans, the uber-wealthy, living in mansions, you live in a mansion with too much stuff, what do we do with words like this from Jesus? Watch out. Guard yourself against all kinds of greed. After all, one's life isn't determined by one's possessions even when someone is very wealthy. What do we do with that? Jesus went on to tell this familiar parable. Parables, of course, are just stories. He just makes up stories to make a point. Tells a parable about a a farmer, apparently a pretty successful farmer. He's a wealthy farmer, but one year he has a particularly great harvest. He, He has more than his old barns could hold. Now, let's be clear. The old barns have made him a wealthy person. Right? He's, he's done pretty well with his old barns, but this year the earth has provided way, way more. It's a windfall he didn't expect. He's like, what am I going to do? I don't have enough barns. We haven't started building rental units yet. I mean, what are we going to do, right, with all my barn, all my, my stuff? So he concludes, I, I'm going to have to tear down my barns. I'm going to have to build bigger barns. And he says this. I'll say to myself, you've stored up plenty of goods, enough for several years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. I mean, if we're honest, doesn't that sound an awful lot like our modern investment and retirement plans? Save it up today so that you have it later. What do we do with this? And notice he never stops and says to himself, you know, my old barns always have been pretty good for me. Maybe I'll just fill them up and, you know, keep enjoying the benefits of that and give the rest away. They've been more than enough for me in the past. They could be more than enough for me now. He kept it all. But then Jesus says, to conclude the parable, God said to him, fool, tonight you will die. Now who will get the things you have prepared for yourself? This is the way it will be for those who hoard things for themselves and aren't rich toward God. I wonder if this is where we get the phrase, you can't take it with you, right? Now, again, parables are fiction. Jesus made up a story to make a point. But I bet all of us can think of a farmer like this, can't we? Somebody who's built bigger and bigger barns to hold more and more stuff for themselves. Or maybe we're the farmer. Are we the farmer? We've all heard the expression, right? At some point we stop possessing our possessions. At some point we stop possessing our wealth. And at some point our possessions and wealth start possessing us. Tony Campolo writes, it requires a miraculous conversion for most people to escape the belief that getting things is what life is all about.
about. So where do we draw the line? Right? This is where I struggle. Where do we draw the line between having enough and when does having enough become hoarding? Right? We just sort of like, well, it's the people on TV that hoard all the junk. No, we all have a tendency to hoard. All of us probably have a drawer, a closet, a garage, an attic that we could probably clean out a little bit. Beyond just meeting our basic daily needs, what's spiritually justified? Taking vacations? Wearing jewelry? Having nice clothes? The latest fashion? Family heirlooms? Leisure activities? Hobbies? Another streaming service? The latest phone? Right? Latest device? Where is the line? At what point does... Do we stop being just wise savers? And the Bible does talk about the wisdom of saving. And at what point have we slid into hoarding? I'm going to be honest. I don't know the answer. And I don't know if the answer is particularly clear. But I think the answer probably is found, at least hinted at, in pursuing the virtue of generosity. Maybe as we seek to be more generous people, our grip on our stuff will loosen and lighten. Maybe as we pursue generosity, it will put our stuff in perspective. Now, here's a definition of generosity from Christian Smith and Hillary Davidson. They say that generosity is the virtue of giving good things to others freely and abundantly. Generosity is ultimately an expression of love. I like that. Now, on one level, a lot of us practice generosity by getting rid of our excess, right? I don't think I need that anymore. Hasn't fit me in 10 years. I probably could get rid of it, right? right? We, we get rid of the stuff, we, the extra stuff, right? We pass it along. It's no sweat. You know, I'm not using it anymore. Give it to somebody who could use it. That's okay. That's good. But Scripture actually calls us to a higher level of sacrifice. That I don't just give it to you because I don't need it that maybe I give it to you because you need it more than I do. That it actually comes from a place of sacrifice. We've all heard the the biblical phrase, uh, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. You've heard that? Well, maybe generosity is the root of all kinds of virtue, particularly the virtue of loving our neighbor. Now, one thing I would recommend, I said this, we have to work on this. One practice that the Bible gives us to be generous people is the biblical principle of tithing. Giving the first 10% of your income away. I just, you know, it's kind of automatic. It just forces you to live in a more place of greater dependency on God. I will tell you, Kelly and I have, my wife have, have been tithing since we got married back in 1990, and God has provided every need. Not necessarily every want. But certainly every need. We've never, ever gone without. Generosity combats our greed and it reflects the heart of God who blesses us generously. Praise God, we say, from whom all blessings flow. And we can never forget that ultimately it's an issue of justice. Sharing out of my abundance so that others have enough. Right? That brings to the world a fairer sense of justice for all. Now, okay, so our vice is what? Greed, right? The virtue is 
generosity. Now, there's three parts to our series. Vices, virtues, and vows. A vow is a commitment. Like this is I'm going to do. And I made a vow, wedding vow to my wife. I made certain promises to her of what kind of husband I'm going to be. I said earlier, virtue requires commitment, intent, and practice. So each week we're going to suggest a possible vow, a practice that you could put into place beginning in Lent, but maybe going on beyond it that might help us grow in that particular virtue. So here's what we're going to suggest for uh, for generosity. We are, throughout Lent, going to take up a special offering, which will go to our serve ministry, to support several feeding ministry programs we want to accomplish in 2023. This is above and beyond our operating budget. It's simply putting food in the bellies of people who are hungry, both locally and internationally. So I'm just going to suggest that to you. Here's the vow of the day. Make a generous contribution to our Lenten offering. If you want to do it today, there's offering boxes back by the door. There'll be other opportunities. Maybe you just want to stroke a check at some point. Help us to do some good in the world and and also to become a more generous person. Now let me conclude with this. As we reflect this week, I hope you do reflect this week on the problem of greed. I hope you'll keep in mind the extreme generosity of Jesus. It says in Philippians that that he didn't count equality with God something to be grasped, but he came, right? He came to us in the form of a servant. He gave his life. He came and lived among us, among a poor family. He gave of himself generously to anyone who asked of him. And ultimately, he even gave his life for us, for God so loved This example of free, abundant, generous love given to us in the person of Jesus. Let him be our model. Let him be our inspiration. Let him be our example. And let him challenge us as we take up our cross and follow him. Let's pray. And so, God... May we not walk out these doors feeling guilty for what we have or what we've, uh, what we've accumulated or for our paychecks, but rather may we look to Jesus and be inspired to be generous with what we have and what you've given us. May we more and more be a reflection of you in the ways that we share with others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and that you will listen again in the future. If you enjoyed today's message, we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and share it with others on social media. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If this podcast is a valuable resource to you, we invite you to give to this ministry by making a financial contribution at firstchurchorlando.org forward slash give. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.